back them dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Help bell boy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep in the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. I'm Zachary Scott Johnson. On today's episode, we are discussing Meryl's 2006 comedy, The Devil Wears Prada. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at MerylStreepPodcast at gmail.com. It's all one word, MerylStreepPodcast at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. We certainly appreciate the nice reviews that have come in so far. We're ready to start the show. Checking out this heartbreak hotel. I ain't gonna live on lonely street no more, no more. I found. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Meryl Streep in the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you this morning, Meryl McNally? I'm excellent. How are you, Zach? Good, good. What you been up to lately? Oh my gosh, I am in the throes of rehearsal for our show, Peter and the Starcatcher. We open August 18th, so we are trying to get everything in order. Right. Well, anybody in the Roswell, New Mexico area, NeverlandTheaterCompany.com, right? Or no, yes. it's it's NeverlandTheater.com. Get tickets. It's NeverlandTheaterCompany.com. It is yep. company.com. Kids are amazing. It's kids are amazing. Good. It's unbelievable what what kids can do. Yeah. 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 yeah cool. It's a good show. Everybody get tickets. Come see it. Yeah. You've been working hard on it. What you to? Same old, same old. Plan summertime. I'm about to go away for a couple <laughs> days on vacation, so I'm looking forward to that. So, okay, well, before we dive into this week's main attraction it's our first segment as always what have you been watching have you been watching anything else interesting have you seen have you seen anything interesting since last i talked to you i saw spider-man oh how was that which it was incredibly enjoyable i you know i enjoy i enjoy the marvel film uh every once in a while i'm not i'm not a massive marvel comic fan or aficionado, but I will go and enjoy the movie sometimes. This was definitely one of their better films. It was very well done. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. I really enjoyed it. Michael Keaton was obviously great. Tom Holland is fantastic. He's going to be a megastar, I'm sure. And, uh, yeah, and then I've been, what else? I watched, I watched um, a short television show that aired on Netflix. It's a British television show called uh, Crashing, created by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. She also did Fleabag, which came out on Amazon. Oh, okay. She just has a really uh, kind of dark, quirky sense of humor, and it was excellent. I really enjoyed it. I recommend it. What is it called? It's called Crashing. Now, there's another show called Crashing on HBO. It's a different Crashing. This one's on Netflix, and it's, yeah, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Okay. Yeah. What about you? What have you been watching? Um, I've been watching a lot of, I guess, well, yeah, I was going to say we could save this for later, but I guess it's kind of relevant to this. The next episode that we're going to do is a, is looking at the career of Diane Keaton, just kind of like we did with uh, Carrie Fisher. We want to do an episode every once in a while where we look at somebody's kind of a quick overview of somebody's career. And we, we kind of timed it out so that the uh, recent AFI tribute, uh, we could watch that because they did Diane Keaton this year and it was a it was a good show. So I've actually been going back and watching a lot of um, Diane Keaton's early roles. I've been trying to find some of those kind of hard to find movies. Uh, a lot of the stuff she did in the 70s and 80s that was not written and directed by Woody Allen, a lot of that stuff, not all of it, but a lot of it has kind of been forgotten and, you know, isn't thought of as much in her kind of career trajectory. So 
I've been looking at a lot of that stuff, but we'll save that for next time. I haven't I haven't really oh. seen anything all that interesting. I did see uh, just on DVD uh, a recent sci-fi movie called Life, which um, has Rebecca oh, yeah. Rebecca Ferguson and um, Jake Gyllenhaal were probably the two leads. Ryan Reynolds is in it too, but not as not as big a role for him. Um, I liked it. It's kind of like Alien Redux a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's a bunch of astronauts. The nice thing is it's kind of, it's self-contained. I like I like those kind of science fiction outer space movies that are pretty self-contained where it pretty much takes place on the, in this particular instance, it's the, the International Space Station. But, you know, like Alien mostly takes place on the ship. In fact, I think it pretty much exclusively takes place on the ship and things like that where it's not like cutting back and forth a ton to like, you know, Earth's reaction to what's going on up there. Um, it's pretty right. self-contained, which I appreciated. Um it's pretty fast moving. It's interesting, basically, uh, without giving too much away, they discover this tiny organism, um, which they consider to be, you know, the first signs of, of life on another planet. It's, it's so small that it's, you know, it's like a single cell. And basically, they through their kind of working with it, it, it comes to life and then kind of starts taking revenge on them. So it's it that's why it's very oh, wow. similar to Alien is it's kind of, you know, the revenge of... of you know this thing basically but it's it's not really it's not really um cheesy it's it's well done uh they named the little organism calvin and i have a dog named calvin so he was really confused every time somebody <laughs> screamed calvin in the movie um so i don't know i i it, it wouldn't um it, it it wouldn't be a five star review from me, but it's it's a solid four star. It was definitely enjoyable, you know. And um, I don't know. It, this is a Meryl Streep podcast, so it's a little bit it, it's a little bit more lowbrow than a typical Meryl Streep movie. But it's fine. It's fine. That's maybe the most interesting thing that I've seen, I guess, since last we talked. But um, yeah, okay. So then we're going right into probably Meryl's biggest hit, don't you think? This movie. Probably box office buzz. Although I don't know, uh, uh, probably it's complicated. Might have competed. Oh, I was going to say Mama Mia might have beaten it too. Um, oh, you're right. But I'm curious. Look at the box office numbers. I didn't do that. Yeah, I, I suppose I could do that while we're here. Um, the uh, when you look on Merrill's IMDb page, you know how it gives you like the four is known for kind of things. This is listed first, uh-huh. so I think it's um, wow. Oh, you know, this movie did do really well. Okay, so this, okay, the movie, we haven't even said the title yet, although it says it when you download it. So, The Devil Wears Prada is this week's movie. Um, the budget for this movie was $35 million. It made 27 in its opening weekend and went on to gross about $325 million worldwide. So, wow, 35 is a pretty small budget. Yeah, yeah, all things oh, considered. Wow. Um, and I think a lot of it went to costuming. Um, I'm sure. They said it was the most expensive costumed movie, or at least at that point was the most expensive costumed movie um, in history, I think. Again, that might have changed since then. But, oh yeah, Mamma Mia beats it. Mamma Mia's gross was $601 million. So almost twice as much as... Oh, wow this one but um what was the other one you said it's complicated yeah i'll look that one up too yeah it's complicated was a hit let's see yeah not quite as much and whoa the budget for it's complicated was 85 million dollars almost 100 million dollars to make that movie wow i guess between the three salaries (laughs) i don't know where else it went to in that movie um but it made 221 million dollars so about a hundred million dollars less so this is probably sitting number two in terms of her um biggest hit but i think it's in terms of her uh career roles it's probably one of the ones that she's for sure best known for yeah um i i kind of think of this movie as the kind of start i know she'd had a few ones shortly before it but this is kind of the start of her renaissance in a lot of ways her kind of i don't want to say third act because it's that implies that like we're coming towards the end and I don't like that idea, but um, you know, know, kind of 
kind of the start of uh, of a new chapter in her career, really. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, at least it felt that way to, you know, one of her audience goers. Yeah. So what's your... Um, What's your history with this movie? This is this rates in your top five, if I remember correctly. So you, this is a big one for you. Yes. Yeah. So I obviously saw it when it came out, and um, I'm trying to think. I I feel like I was so, I remember being so excited to see it because of Meryl Streep. Okay. She was the reason I walked into the theater, and I was just so excited to see her play a role like this, because she's obviously known for her more serious roles, and while she's done comedy, I I can't remember if she'd done any significant comedies leading up to this. Well, that run that run in the '90s, you know, the postcards from the edge, death becomes her she devil. Right. Yeah, but like immediately before this, like early two oh. thousands, I feel like she'd done a string of dramas. I could be totally wrong. Don't take my word for that. But I was just really excited to see her do this. You know, they advertised it really well. I loved it. I obviously bought it. I've watched it dozens and dozens of times. I haven't watched it though in the last. Um, probably the last four years, five years. Okay. And so I did revisit it for the podcast, and it's so interesting, my shift in perspective. I definitely have one. We'll talk about it. But, um, she's still amazing in it. Yeah. Um, it's probably not in my top five in terms of movies. Okay. Um, but it is in my top five of Meryl performances. I think I... I think I'd agree with you on that one, actually. This one is not, this was not in my top five, and I don't think it's going to crack it. It actually, when we get to our list of like the movies that we've been through, um, it's sitting at number four for me, but I know it's not going to stay there. You know, I, I know there are going to be other ones that'll bump it out as we get to them. But um, in terms of her performance, it really is amazing. Uh, the movies that she did right before this, uh, right before this, the same year was A Prairie Home Companion, which is lighter, you know, um, and actually the one right before that. Yeah, the one right before that was Prime, which is which is a comedy. So she had done a couple comedies in a row, but Prime was not received particularly well. Prime was kind of immediately forgotten about by most people. Um, so, uh, you know, she had done a couple. And then going back before that was a lot of heavier stuff. It was The Manchurian Candidate and Angels in America um, adaptation, which isn't heavy, but... Um, and. Lenny Snicket's uh, series of unfortunate events was stuck in there too, as well as a cameo in uh, Stuck on You. Um, and then after that, she goes into some more, it's really after this that she kind of s- goes right back into some really dark movies. Right after this, she does yeah. um, The Ant Bully, which is an animated kind of kids movie. But after that, there's a string of Dark Matter, which is a very dark one, Evening, which is so so, yeah. Lions for Lambs, Rendition doubt you know like all these kind of dark movies um after this yeah so she kind of was going through a a little bit of a a phase there but this is a lighter one in the midst of all that um yeah what were your impressions of the movie now i'm curious you said you had kind of a different reaction 10 years ago when it came out or i guess almost 15 years ago now when this movie came well no 10 years ago when this came out yeah, I think, yeah, I think when it came out, I just had less of a critical eye. You know, I sat down, I, I sat down to watch it in the theater in 2006, and just, just enjoying it. Right. And, um, you know, we've known, we've known these actors for a lot longer now, we've seen where Emily Blunt's career has gone, and then Hathaway's, and it just, you, you watch it differently. I don't, I Long story short, I don't think this movie is anything without Meryl Streep and Stanley Tucci. Right. Um, if you know, if you recast them or pull them out of the mix, this this movie is probably mediocre at best. Um, the writing is rough. The writing's rough. I, I, you know, there's some really fantastic fantastic dialogue with Meryl Streep, Stanley Tucci, but some of the stuff with like Anne Hathaway and her and her friends. Yeah. And even Emily Blunt's dialogue, it, it just, it's kind of like nails on a chalkboard at certain points. You're like, oh, that is so rough. 
Hmm. Were there any were there any specific ones that that jumped out to you? Um, so the entire well, this is more of a storyline issue, um, and it's it's bothered me in the past. It's not the first time I've noticed it, but there's this there's this sort of backlash from her friend for her not like doing her job with integrity, and they get angry with her for dedicating all of her time to her boss. Right. But I don't think it's flushed out well. It's very weird. So let me back up and give everybody a plot synopsis yeah, for those please. who haven't seen the movie. Devil, Devil Wears Prada is based on a book by Lauren Weisberger, and it's about um, her time working as an assistant to Anna Wintour at Vogue. And she's fictionalized it, of course. And it's now Runway Magazine, and Meryl Streep plays the Anna Wintour character. And um, she is a new graduate from college. She wants to be a journalist. She gets a job as um, Meryl Streep's assistant. She knows nothing about fashion. She's a fish out of water. She's basically been hired because she's smart. Right. So she's sort of dumped into this world of, of high fashion and um, has to has to make her way and in the process navigate her personal relationships that sort of fall apart. So um, that's the plot. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I don't know. It didn't ever ring true to me. I could never, I just, maybe you have a different perspective. Every time I watch it, I'm like, why the hell are they so, ir-? like, really? If they had a boss that demanding, are you telling me they wouldn't be answering her phone call? Right. Yeah, I I get what you mean. That scene is um the the thing that kind of bugged me about that particular scene is like that that's the same scene where she shows up and like gives them all gifts, you know, she gives uh the one who is also in rent, you know, what? this like expensive coach bags. Like she's giving them all this stuff and they're so happy and like so excited and then they turn around and like reward her for that by stealing her phone when her boss is calling, which just seems like I don't know if your friends would do that, but mine wouldn't, you know, like no, immediately no. after like, you know, I don't know. They, even if they know it's a high stress job, like you just don't really do that to somebody but i think it was supposed to ring as this, like a bunch of friends having um you know fun in a bar kind of thing i don't know that whole group thing seemed to be a little bit convenient it it, it was like a, right yeah we need this we need this flip side to see the other side of her life and it was it was all character development for Anne hathaway's character which was good i mean we, you need a certain amount of of that but it you know, I don't know. It was just a little bit. We either needed more of them or none of them. I think um, it was just kind of a, a weird, yeah. you know, thing. I don't know. I I wasn't totally thrown by the script. There are a few things in here actually. As I was I was watching it again this morning with the commentary, and and Megan sat down and she, you know, there's this thing about halfway through the movie where Anne Hathaway starts like dressing really differently and yeah. you know like gets her hair done and she like tries to make herself fit in more at this fashion you know at, at this fashion magazine and she says how exactly is she affording all of those clothes which is something I had wondered too um, I think there's something supposed to be gleaned from the fact that Stanley Tucci is like helping her out um, you know like kind of helping yeah. with the makeover so I don't know if those were all like freebies or whatever but um, it is kind of a very quick transformation too that Anne Hathaway's character goes through. Um, you know, we're all like, yeah. they refer to her for the first, you know, 40 minutes of this movie as the, as the smart fat. I mean, they literally call her fat. They, they call her the smart yeah. fat girl. And then all of a sudden she's one of them. And I guess it's not completely out of the realm of possibilities, but um, I don't know. It's, it's, it just it happened it, really quick. It had a Sex in the City vibe to it. Yeah. Um. And and the and that makes sense. I mean, it's the same costumer. I'm pretty sure. But 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 that that sort of it's so impractical or or it reaches the level of impossible cost wise, timeline wise. Um. That that somebody could transform that quickly and afford it, and they're not all freebies, you know. Right. And she's living on pennies. But welcome to the romantic comedy genre. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is it's supposed to be light, right? It's that we're not supposed to 
take it entirely. We're not supposed to sit there going, wait a second, that's not realistic because it's supposed to be an escape movie. It's not supposed to be a documentary. So, you know, to a certain degree, it's fine. Right. Um, this, uh, let's maybe talk for a moment about um, David Frankel, who directed this movie. Um, it's okay. It's kind of interesting that you brought up Sex in the City because he directed uh, several episodes of Sex in the City. Um, that was one of the things that he kind of got his start on. Wait a second. Uh, he did six uh, episodes of Sex in the City, um, as well as Entourage. Okay. He, he did a couple episodes of Entourage, which explains why the guy from Entourage is in this movie. Um, yes. This was pretty much his first uh, like full movie in almost, actually over a decade. He did a movie called Miami Rhapsody in 1995 with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, Mia Farrow, uh-huh. and Antonio Banderas. But then he did a lot of TV. He did From the Earth to the Moon. He did Band of Brothers. So he was hooked up with Spielberg, um, Sex in the City and Entourage, and then this movie. And then after this, he did Marley and Me, that movie we will never talk about. Uh, the Big Year <laughs> with Steve Martin. Um, he did. He reunited with Meryl for yeah. Hope Springs. And uh, yeah. this past year did Collateral Beauty, that Will Smith um, one. I think we talked yeah. about. I think we talked about Collateral Beauty at some point in the like movies that we also saw this week thing because that was. Yeah, because didn't you see it? I did see it, yeah. And that movie was kind of a disappointment to a lot of people. Yeah, you're not, I don't know. The ending was one of those, uh, you'll love or hate the ending of it, basically. It has this twist to it thing. But um, yeah, so interesting that this movie was, I'm, I guess it's because this movie, it wasn't a huge budget. You know, it was a $25 million budget, but that somebody with really one movie to his credit managed to get this movie that was kind of launched as a big summer blockbuster movie, you know? How did he get this gig, yeah. basically? Oh, man. I mean, it had to have been the people the people you know. I mean, coming off of Band of Brothers was a huge hit. Sex in the City, huge hit. Yeah, that's true. You know, um, connections, for sure. Yeah. Well, and he did well. Sure. I don't mean to I don't mean to imply that he shouldn't have gotten this gig, but you know, it's um it's right, of right. note because I'm sure I'm sure this was a project that people were competing for. Um yeah, you you mentioned a few minutes ago that you don't think this movie is anything without Meryl and Stanley Tucci and Stanley Tucci was one of the last people cast for this. He was like a really late addition to this. He's a wonderful addition, isn't he? Yeah. I, I, I really wonder if he came on. I'm sure he came on board because of Meryl Streep. I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, they have good chemistry, though. And, of course, they revisit it um, later in Julie and Julia, too. Um, yes. And uh, there were a couple... There were a couple... Okay. Um, there were a few possible casting things. This movie was originally... Anne Hathaway's character was originally offered and turned down by um, Rachel McAdams. So that would have been kind of interesting. Interesting. Um, And listen to this list. Now, this is on IMDb, so God only knows if it's correct or not. But listen to this list of people who were considered for the Miranda Priestly role that Meryl plays in this movie. It's a long list, so get ready. Jennifer Aniston. uh, Jennifer Aniston, Kim Basinger, Cameron... Diaz, dear God, Heather Graham, Angelina Jolie, Lisa Kudrow, Helen Mirren, Tatum O'Neill. I don't get that one at all. Gwyneth Paltrow, Michelle Pfeiffer, Julia Roberts, Meg Ryan, Alicia Silverstone. Which again, in nineteen in two thousand six, she would have been way too young. Age range on that. I know. Hillary Swank and Naomi Watts. So yeah, you have everybody from Alicia Silverstone to Helen Mirren allegedly being considered for this same role. I don't understand how it's possible. Um, there would have been some in there that would have been interesting. I mean, like, obviously, Helen Mirren would have been an interesting one. Michelle Pfeiffer oh, yeah. m- might have been interesting, too. Um, 
I don't know about the rest of them. Any, you know, most of the, a lot of the rest of them I, I like as actors, you know, um, Naomi Watts, yeah. I, I think is a great actress. Um, I've always liked Julia Roberts and Meg Ryan. I know they're not everybody's cup of tea, but, um, you know, like, I, but I don't know that these roles would have suited any of the three of them, you know, but, um, oh, no, that's crazy. and the last, uh, kind of thing was Dennis Leary was apparently offered both the, uh, Stanley Tucci and, um, the role that Simon Baker plays in this movie. And he couldn't what? do, yeah, I guess they really wanted him to be in this movie and he just, he was filming one of his TV shows and he couldn't make it work. I think he wanted to do it too. Um, I think he spoke about it with some regret years later and said you know that he'd been offered they basically said either role which whichever one you want to do um yeah that's crazy yeah i don't um i just want to go ahead and address simon baker's eyebrows right now okay (laughs) i don't know if you noticed simon baker looks normal in everything else he does I don't know what the heck the costume, like the makeup and hair department did to him on this film. I think they were trying to make him look like like a super sexy, quaffed, you know, New York journalist. But they, they managed to, like, bleach his eyebrows in the process, and he looked abnormal. I don't know what they did. Oh, really? I didn't notice that, but I don't... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Go back and watch. It's distracting. It's distracting. And this is somebody who's watched the film so many times by the way okay See, but I've, I've seen uh, Simon Baker is in um, oh gosh he's in he's in a romantic comedy I love um, and now I'm not going to be able to remember the name so I'm going to look it up and you know he's perfectly lovely and normal looking in it and then you know um, there's this one where you're like that's just not something's off what happened to your face See, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything. Oh, yeah, he doesn't normally look like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and I, um, yeah, that was that was one of a few things. Hmm. And then, um, oh, the super cheesy dialogue with um, <laughs> with the fashion designer that Stanley Chuchi's going to work with. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he's played by um, Daniel. Um, Daniel Sinjata, hmm. who's a who's a pretty good who's a pretty good actor, the James Holt character. Oh, okay, yeah. I don't All know rough and patches too, but for the for the Simon Baker character, I'm just not sure that that storyline. I don't know. I I get why it was in there. It was kind of demonstrating that like how how Andy's world was shifting and like you know new opportunities and new. It's like a, a different class of of people that she was around for lack of a better term i i get all that but i don't know the whole like affair angle was kind of not really necessary in a lot of ways yeah yeah it it didn't seem like something that needed necessarily to be in this movie um you know it's interesting that this movie is so so from her perspective and yet really like the most interesting I feel like even when they were making this movie they had to know that the most interesting character was a Meryl Streep character and but I don't know yeah. maybe there is maybe it is still the right choice to make it from from Andy's character I think if you make it from from Miranda Priestley's point of view the movie is maybe less interesting because maybe what's so interesting about her is the kind of mysterious nature of that character you really get to see like one scene of like some humanity to her and that's what makes that scene really work is there's one of them right you know yeah yeah absolutely yeah i think you need i think you you need her as an adversary so to speak make you know to really raise the dramatic stakes because i think if you do a film about about her character miranda Priestley, all of a sudden we get into like more of a um more of a drama i think right Right. Well, and, you know, to kind of go back to something we were talking about in our last episode, or maybe the one before that, when we were talking about Meryl is doing her first sequel, you know, in fact, I think they're about to start filming uh, Mamma Mia 2. Um, this right. this seems like a movie that I'm sure it was brought up as a possibility of doing a sequel. You know, nobody dies in this movie. Oh, they could yeah. do a sequel. They probably, it would be hard, if not impossible, to bring back um 
you know, Anne Hathaway's character. In fact, you might just want to move on from that character. And, you know, basically they could basically redo this movie, you know, from another person's like another new assistance and have just a different set of circumstances. You know, I mean, like that would pass. And maybe that's why maybe that's why they're yeah. they never made the movie is because Meryl probably wouldn't agree to to do that just to redo. But um, yeah, I don't know this. It, we were talking about the movies that would be an interesting Meryl sequel. And this could have been interesting. I, and I guess it's not out of the range of possibilities. Mamma Mia is almost um, as long ago. So I guess they still could do a sequel to this movie. I'm kind of glad they haven't, but um, you know, they could, they could would have an audience. They, they sure. definitely could. I mean, it's, it's, it's good fodder for it. Um, you'd have to have Meryl Streep though. Hollywood. Right. Other than that, you wouldn't really need anybody back. Um, family would be a nice bonus well in his character arc that like he gets kind of screwed out of getting a great job um, you know towards the end of the movie but you could explain his not being there if he wasn't able to come back for a sequel by you know claiming that he or Emily Blunt's characters got new jobs you know Um, yeah like you say really the only one that you need for sure is is Meryl but um, yeah I don't know so um what was your impression of the film this time through? What did you find different about this movie from, from previous times? Was it a big surprise to you how this movie struck you this time? Um, no, I think I was, um, it wasn't a big surprise. It wasn't a big shift. It's just, it was sort of an acknowledgement. This movie isn't, isn't probably as solid as a film as I had it in my head. Sure. Um, I mean, it's one of those movies that, you know, my sister and I quote every once in a while. You know, it's kind of got, it takes that status in our in our film library. So it, it was interesting to revisit it with a critical eye. Um, I was not surprised to find that Meryl Streep's performance is still just as good as I remember it. And um, that's why the movie is in my is in my top five. I'd probably take it out of my top five in terms of films as a whole. Sure. But it's... I've, I've decided to make two lists. I'm running a list of films, uh, Meryl Streep performances in order, and then those films ranked by how, how well I enjoyed the overall film. Okay. And, and they're two different lists, for yeah. sure. Okay. Uh, which is interesting. Um the Devil Wears Prada for Meryl Streep performances probably comes in second for me to her performance in the hours. Okay, and that's out of the movies that we've watched so far, right? That we've watched. So anybody yeah. who's like just diving in with this episode, we haven't gotten to Sophie's Choice or Silkwood or any of those kind of big ones yet. So don't shoot us angry emails right. going, you know, how can this be? <laughs> um, Correct. But yeah, okay. Uh, for me, I had it at number four. It's in between adaptation and Florence Foster Jenkins for me again, which is in the so far category. Um, I, but I'm with you. I think if we're talking about performances, I bump it up to number three. I would flip this in adaptation because I think her performance in this is probably better than her performance in adaptation. Um, yeah. I don't know. We might she's get some. Golden, right? I mean, she's fantastic. Right. She's so she's so wonderfully evil and and completely relatable all at the same time. And I, really, props to the costume department because they made her look like. I, I mean, there's like a hint of Cruella Deville going on with that hair. Absolutely. They just did a phenomenal, so much of the character is in the costuming and the hair and makeup for sure. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, and that's a pretty iconic look that she has. Um, yeah, this movie was nominated for two Academy Awards, one for, for Meryl for leading role. Um, I'm going to look up who won that year because I've forgotten who won in 2007. But the other nomination, the reason I'm bringing this up right now is because the other nomination was for costume design for Patricia Field. Um and uh, it, it was up for a few Golden Globes. It won Meryl Streep Best Performance by an Actress in a Comedy or Musical that year and also was up for Best Picture, Comedy or Musical, and Emily Blunt got a Best Actress in a Supporting Role um, nomination. So uh, I think maybe what I'll play 
on the uh, as we're going out, assuming that it's up on YouTube, is Meryl's acceptance speech that year at the Golden Globes. Um, I remember her giving okay. a I remember her giving a big shout out to Emily Blunt. Um, yes, I remember that as well. So yeah, uh, it's I, I'd be curious to know what their relationship was like because it, it's been kind of infamous that. Uh, Meryl Streep, you know, approached Anne Hathaway right as either, you know, at the first read through or as they were, you know, first day of filming, whatever, and said something to the effect of, you know, I think you're great. I'm so happy you're in this movie. I think you're going to be perfect for it. And that's the last nice thing I'm going to say to you. And like really stayed as Miranda the rest of the time. And kind of even with the cast and crew, I like I said, I was just listening to the commentary, which featured the director David Frankel but it also featured the costumer the cinematographer the screenwriter all sorts of you know like people on the production end of things and they said that she was always available but that she did not uh, she was not overly friendly she kind of kept her distance and kind of was trying to stay in that um, headspace of being you know kind of unapproachable and, and liked staying there you know if they needed her for something of course she was she was yeah, you know, easy to work with in that regard. But I think she was trying to stay maybe more in character than she normally does. You don't hear about her going method, yeah. you know, so it's no. interesting. Yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis style, although probably not nearly as severe. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I mean is like, you know, and then I, I think they all got to know each other as they were doing, um, you know, press for this because they did a lot of press for this and a lot of interviews together you know the the two of them and sometimes Emily Blunt as well sometimes Stanley Tucci as well but you know like Anne Hathaway and Meryl Streep did a lot of um did a lot of press for this movie together so I I know they got to know each other after this but I think during the actual filming of it she kind of she kind of liked keeping that relationship of intimidation up and actually okay from our perspective as actors that's that's one of the things that I I think if I was if I was allowed to ask Meryl questions like that might go on the list of like how difficult was that for you because like when I'm in that if I'm in her boat like I wouldn't want to come across as unfriendly you know like kind of play into the stereotype right. of this character I don't know what's your impression right. of that um, it's, I mean it's the same it's the same as yours it's the same as yours for sure. It's an interesting, I don't know. I was looking at, I'm sorry, I got a little bit distracted because I was looking at timing on, it's always so weird. This film, this film and, I'm sorry to change the subject, we'll go back, but this film and um, um, Doubt all, I, I worked with Emily Blunt and Amy Adams in right. 2000. Six slash seven on sunshine cleaning, and then this film in doubt um, came. Divorce product came. Um, oh gosh, all around the same time. It's just a couple years difference. Right. So I'm always like, oh man, I'm just two actresses away from Meryl Streep. Hmm. And I was looking at timing. Yeah. But I remember it was so interesting to see. Um, it was interesting to see her her um, thank Emily Blunt at the Golden Globes and and the personal connection and my my knowledge of Emily Blunt personally and then the same thing sort of happened on Doubt where I got to see sort of the public interaction between Michelle Streep and Amy Adams and how both both reflected my personal experiences of Amy Adams and Emily Blunt as well. So it was really sort of interesting to have that insight looking at the public relationship between those actresses. Okay. Is there anything, I, I guess I'm, I'm still curious about it. Is there anything, uh, do you, are you wanting to stay vague about it or um, like, do you have any more insight into that? Um, well, you know what? I think Adams has actually gone on record to talk about, um, you know, as a as a younger actress, um, that um, that filmmakers didn't necessarily trust her as much as they should have because she wasn't solid. Now that that's that self criticism at its finest because she's always been she's always been a solid actress and she's right. a solid actress on Sunshine Cleaning, but there Emily. Emily has a very sort of open, 
friendly um, chat with everybody, sort of warm, bubbly personality. And um, it, Amy was just more, um, more con- I think, more stressed about the role and doing well and um, what, less approachable. Okay, sure. Less approachable. Um, yeah. And so there were really interesting dynamics between those two as well, and I think they're very good friends. Um, but, but yeah, it, it was interesting. It was interesting to watch and then going into... Um, you know, just watching uh, Meryl Streep's interactions with Emily Blunt seem to say the same thing and just sort of warm, warm and open. They really loved each other, had a good time together. Um, I didn't get that same vibe off of the, the press stuff from Doubt. Oh. I think it was yeah. more challenging. Well, and more challenging film, too. You know, Content-wise, prob- too. Yeah. I mean, my gosh, I doubt they were talking fashion on the set of Doubt. Yeah. Yeah, um... Yeah, that, well, that's that's interesting for sure. Um, uh, you know, it's that's the way it goes sometimes. There are people who are um, easy to to be around, and then sometimes not as much. Um, so it's and I mean that that's I'm sure heightened when you're gigantic movie stars. Um, but you know, any old actor and actress, any old person, you know, like it's just personality types too. So the the performance that won the best actress that year at the oscars was helen mirren in the queen so nobody was going to beat that performance no yeah no one was going to top that that was pretty amazing and the costume um design oscar that year went to marie antoinette over this movie which i've never seen marie antoinette that's more of a period piece i know um i don't know it is but i guess i it's good I won't comment on it because I haven't seen it. My my thought was in, was kind of that's kind of surprising, but maybe it's not because I'm sure the costumes were were good at Marie Antoinette. Um, so, do you have a favorite? I know it's it's tricky, but um, favorite Meryl moments in this movie? Favorite Meryl scenes in this movie? Oh yeah, um, and I think this is this is probably a large the large consensus on this. But when she's talking to Andy about the cerulean color cerulean yeah and, and they're picking out the belts yeah um that's that's a particular favorite of mine um also the scene in the hotel room in paris when she's talking about her divorce yep i love the moment when anne hathaway tells her she found the harry potter manuscript yeah and they're already on the train and meryl no, she kind of strokes her neck and she's like mm-hmm, okay <laughs> um, I love that moment, but yeah, and there's one liner like, "Did you smack your little head on the pavement?" <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> that are so brilliant coming from her. But yeah, those are probably my top moments. How about you? Um, well, those those two are ones that most people are going to say. I mean, like, really, she. Um, those are the scenes where she kind of gets some real dialogue most of the most of the time she doesn't say all that much and actually a lot of the power that she kind of holds throughout the film is because she doesn't yell ever you know like she always keeps her voice at this like really specific like it's it's that thing of like instead of yelling i'm going to talk to you like this and that's somehow more terrifying yep um, I think I could be I could be wrong, but I I really I I don't think I am. I remember I think hearing her interviewed and people were asking because you know of course everybody assumed that this was based 100% on Anna Wintour, and I think she kind of took a little offense at a certain point out of like you know assuming that she was she was basing this off of any specific one person and i might be thinking about the manchurian candidate instead because i know it was a similar thing where everybody thought she was doing uh, an impression of hillary clinton you know um when she was doing manchurian candidate and but i think it was this one that she was talking about no actually a lot of what she picked up was from clint eastwood um you know because he has that sort of like very authoritarian way of talking but again never yells never raises their voice just kind of has this way of like the way they speak can be so cutting so those those two scenes that you mentioned are 
for sure up there. Um, it's specifically the the divorce scene. I don't know. There's something so kind of shocking about that scene because you know, like she's so pristine the throughout no the makeup. whole movie. The no makeup thing is is big, yeah. Um, and kind of how open she is for just a minute, and then it's pulled back. Um, you know, yeah. um, there is there's a lot of her little every time every single time that she says that's all um is amazing uh I know. It, it's it's just this she's so, great. so dismissive and so i i actually love the way um i think it's it's probably the first time she meets anne hathaway's character and you know she does this quick little interview with her and she kind of gets insulted and Anne Hathaway gives this sort of like okay I get it I'm not you know the same person and just the way she kind of looks at her and then Stanley Tucci comes in and so Anne Hathaway's character you know says a final like uh you know sorry for wasting your time or thanks for your time I can't remember one of those two things and she looks at Anne Hathaway's character for you know she gives her a couple like two three seconds look and then immediately turns to stanley tucci's character and it's like i it, it, there's this way that she has of like she can shift her entire focus like her entire focus is like a hundred percent on that one person even if she thinks that person is so beneath her she's giving them a hundred percent of her attention and she's like drilling you know these these laser beams out of her eyes into you and then as soon as she's done with you she's on to the next thing and it's like she will never again think of you uh i don't know there's just such power that she has in her like physicality in this movie it's amazing so much and even just the even just the contrast between the way she interacts with anne hathaway's character and then the shift to interacting with Stanley Tucci, who is right. a longtime colleague, and she has no interest in intimidating him. Right. <laughs> and that, yeah, it's so powerful. You're right. Well, that's you captured it so well. Yeah, that's kind of what I mean. Is like I didn't articulate it very well, but that idea of like her, her just entire being shifts, um, you know, from person to person, and yeah. it's really amazing. Um, I also love. Uh, I think the ending is. Um, kind of an interesting ending and actually i i remembered the ending of this movie differently from how it actually is i remembered the ending moment being really? different yeah because you know i remembered that they for uh, see now i don't know that i had seen this movie in about 10 years because i remember seeing it in the movie theater and then when it came out on dvd i got it and i think i watched it then but i don't think i've seen it since then um so okay. it had been a long time and i remembered that there was that scene the final shots basically of Anne Hathaway when she quits bumps into um, Meryl Streep as she's coming out of the building and they share this kind of look towards each other. And I remembered that that was the one time in the movie really that Meryl smiled and there, there actually are a couple other times, but it's more of like a kind of smirky snarky kind of smile that, whereas this is a right. genuine smile. And I, remembered it wrong because I thought that she had smiled at Anne Hathaway and she doesn't. What she does is she kind of keeps no. that stone face on and Anne Hathaway just kind of throws up her hand, you know, her shoulders like whatever, I am never going to win with you. And then Meryl's character gets in the, the limo and then she smiles. Um, and actually right. probably my favorite moment of the whole thing is what happens immediately after that because she smiles and it's this like moment of like reflection and then the smile just disappears from her face again in about one second and she to her driver she says go in that like you're wasting my time go you know <laughs> i love that it's again the shift that she has okay. it's it's amazing so that might be my favorite moment even though it's so simple you know it's but I don't know. There's just she's so good in this movie. She's so good in this movie. Her timing is impeccable. I also love when she just under her breath is so irritated and says, "Why is nobody ready?" Yeah. <laughs> or the 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 one of the most infamous like trailer moments in like you know movies or the clips that are shown whenever this movie is talked about the no no that wasn't a question thing <laughs> um that's another kind of classic moment from this movie but it's so great yeah so yeah. 
I don't know this this movie we've already kind of talked about where it would slot in for for each of us um so it it for right now sits in both of our top five out of the movies that we've watched so far i think right it does for me does it for you yeah Yeah. for sure so the the question then and i think i know the answer to this is that other question we have a bunch of these we probably do too many of these but that 10 film starter pack would this go in there just in case we need to quantify all of these movies another way but um would this movie go into that bin the 10 film starter pack the hypothesis here being like somebody who's unfamiliar with her work is this one where you kind of show the different eras and the different kind of facets of her career would this movie make yes, it in? Absolutely. I think so too. I think you have to. Not yeah. uh, not again because it's such a great movie. Although I think it is a good movie. Um it, it is. It's, it's fun. It's, it's really very fun. It's very watchable, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Hence it's on T V like every day. Right. And I I mean I've watched it dozens of times. It's so it's so watchable. It's just fun. You can tell they're having fun. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah it's definitely in the ten film starter pack. If anything else, just to show her magnificent range. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's an essential performance more than an essential movie, but it's it really is so so good, um, and a lot of good. You know, we've we've kind of touched on them, but you know, Stanley Tucci is great in this movie. Emily Blunt is really great in this movie. Anne Hathaway, I think, is very good. It's good to like go back to kind of like not early 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 in her career but you know kind of before she had this pretty unfair and pretty unfortunate stigma that she got after Les Mis um, where she's still kind of bouncing back from it where she was just kind of overexposed for a while um, and it wasn't really her fault but there was a little bit of kind of begrudging uh, you know her her award season that year and I don't know if she's really recovered from that yet but it's good to see her it's good to see her basically before all that happened and kind of be reminded that like she's a very capable actress and she really always has been yes yes absolutely and she's I mean she's wonderful in this not to mention she's just really stunningly beautiful and she looks I'm I mean she looks fantastic throughout basically this entire film even when she's supposed to be like a schluffy sidekick college students. I'm like, yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult to make Anne Hathaway. I mean, they did a pretty good job with the costuming, but she's just stunning. Yeah, and, you know, they they like, um, like we said earlier, the fact that they refer to her as as fat is just insane. I know. I know. It really is. Um, it, it really is. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a I, I know it was in comparison to like all the people she was around, but by no means, I mean, like even by those standards, she's not fat. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was no. absurd, but I think that was the point. I think that was what we were supposed to, yeah. to, to see was just how absurd it could all be. But cool. Well, anything, any final thoughts on this movie? Watch it, enjoy it, have fun with it. That's about all. Yeah. It's a good one. All right, so then let's go on to our other segments. Which would you rather get into, the movies Meryl was almost in or the Six Degrees? Let's do Six Degrees first. Okay, so you picked our person from last time. Will you say her name, please, because I will say it wrong. <laughs> Zendaya. Zendaya, okay. Um, as I mentioned last time, I didn't and kind of still don't know who this person is. I understand that she was on a <laughs> Disney show. She's not, I actually, I was going to say she's not in my demographic, but that's incorrect. I'm not in her demographic and that's okay. Um, but she's in the new Spider-Man movie, which is the only connection I could make. And I could only make that because you told us that in the last episode. So did you come up with anything? Well, from Spider-Man, um, I, I couldn't get there in three Okay. Um, I had to get there in four, but Zendaya as in Spider-Man with Tom Holland, who is the new Spider-Man. He was in The Impossible with um, uh, Naomi Watts. Ewan McGregor. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, Ewan McGregor. Actually, no, I've got, I've got, I've got five here. This is too long. I bet you've got a shorter one. Ewan McGregor was in Moulin Rouge with Nicole Kidman. Yeah. 
cold hit men is in the hours of Meryl Streep. See, and I thought you were going to... He's bound to have a shorter one. I thought you were going to do a connection to this one because Ewan McGregor was also in Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, which is a movie you talked about with, oh, with, with, Emily Blunt. with Emily Blunt, who's in this one. I thought that's where you were going with this one. Um, and actually, I do have a different connection to this movie uh, also through Spider-Man because, again, that's the only one I could do. Um, Michael Keaton, who was in Spotlight with Stanley Tucci, who was in this movie. So I don't know if that's four or five, oh, but um, Michael Keaton, there are a whole bunch of other ones. The other one that um, that I thought was kind of interesting because it ties into our last episode, our, our before and after episode was, and I just watched it not that long ago too. Michael Keaton did this mini series a few years ago um, called The Company uh, with Chris O'Donnell and a few other people, which featured Alfred Molina, who was also just in Before and After right. with um, Meryl Streep. So, so I could make not really quick connections, but I could make connections to this week's movie and last time's movie. So I felt better about that. <laughs> She's also coming out in The Greatest Showman with oh. Hugh Jackman oh, and quite okay. a few people. And then Rebecca Ferguson, which we talked about earlier in life, Michelle Williams, um, and Zac Efron. I think there are a lot of other people in it, but okay. um, I'm sure there's a zillion connections there as well. Yeah. Well, cool. I'll look forward to, to seeing her in something someday. Um, I haven't had the pleasure yet. but She's really great. She's really great in Spider-Man if you ever see that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So this week we decided to go with uh, Jenny Slate. Um, this was mostly coincidental. I opened up um, IMDb and there was a listing for a movie that Jenny Slate is doing with Edie Falco, um, which caught my attention too. I thought about doing Edie Falco, but you know. Um, I just interviewed her for my podcast, The Joni Mitchell Thing, and I don't want to always make it about that. But the movie that she's in with Edie Falco is a movie called Landline. And right today on IMDb, it's kind of front and center. So that's what made me think of of Jenny Slate. So um, that'll be another interesting one. I feel like um, she does a lot of TV. Um, I'm going to have to think about movies that she's in. She does some independent stuff, but I'm not sure about more mainstream movies that she's been in so it'll be interesting yeah, ob- obvious child obvious child gifted oh yeah. yeah those are the films that pop pop up yeah off the top of my head yeah. cool she's great um for the movies Meryl was almost in, we did a whole bunch of connections to this one actually the the basically like the people who were almost in this one um, and actually there were a couple other ones. There was one that said Juliet Lewis and Claire Danes also auditioned for the role, um, that Anne Hathaway got. So that would have been interesting. I could see Claire Danes more than Juliet Lewis, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, Juliet Lewis had to been too old. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe to play like a, just out of college, you know, um, yeah. kind of person. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so, uh, what was I saying? Oh, the the other segment, the movies Meryl was almost in, um, has no connection to this whatsoever. It uh, was just one that I could find that she auditioned for, or maybe was considered for the role that Emma Thompson ended up playing in The Remains of the Day. Um, so that would have been interesting. Oh. Yeah, that would have been, I mean, Emma Thompson's so good in that role and that movie that, yeah. um, you know, but it certainly would have been in, in Meryl's, capable you know capabilities to, oh, to play yeah. that role it would have been fun to see her with anthony hopkins too they've never been paired up so yeah definitely so cool all right it's amazing the number of just really fantastic actors that she hasn't worked with you just sort of assume she's worked with everybody it's really not the case <laughs> yeah are there other ones and, uh, are there other ones that come to your mind that she has not worked with yet. I feel like we talked about this a little in that pilot episode, but I'm always interested yeah, we, in this well, kind of we stuff. Just, we just today talked about Naomi Watts. Yeah. Um, I think that was before we were Naomi recording, Watts. but yeah. Yeah. Um, Ewan McGregor. Um, um, I feel like we've talked about quite a few. I think we should start a wish list. Uh, yeah, I agree. There are, I in fact, I remember that, you know, there were, for me, it was a lot of um, female actresses that she's not worked with that I'd like to see her work with. Sissy mm-hmm. Spacek is a big one. Um, and Jessica Lange, you know, those are 
two ones yeah. that because they were so Diane Keaton she did she did work with but you know they were kind of like the the ones in the 80s and Glenn Close she she worked with a couple times so you know like but the the other kind of like big actors and the actresses in the 80s who were like always you know up against each other at Oscar time Angelica Houston would have been um a cool one they almost apparently worked together in Marvin's room together yeah. but um you know, there's a lot of people. Basically, name any actor who you like, and of course, you know, you want them to be in a movie with Meryl, and she's not slowing down. So, you know, the chances are still there. No. Tom Hanks would have been a big one, but she's—they just wrapped up the Steven Spielberg movie this week, I think. So, um, that is two birds with one stone: Spielberg and Tom Hanks. Right. I'm excited about that. Right. So. Cool. All right. So speaking of Diane Keaton, our next episode, as we talked about earlier, is going to be a a tribute to Diane Keaton, where we're going to take a look at um, a lot of movies in her career and just spend an episode talking about her. Um, She did work with Meryl Streep in in Marvin's Room. Um, So we might touch on that a little bit, but we'll save that for its own episode, too. We'll just take a look at Diane Keaton's career. um, And I look forward to that. Like I say, I've been watching a bunch of her movies and enjoying some some of the ones that I had never seen before um, and revisiting, you know, other ones like First Wives Club I watched the other day, uh, The Other Sister I watched the other day, you know, like a lot of those movies that, um, you know, had kind of oh, not yeah, seen the other in a while. Sister. With Juliette Lewis. Ages. Right. Yeah, so good. Yeah. So I look forward to that. And then should we announce the, the next Meryl movie that we're going to do, which will be in two episodes from now? Yes, we are going to, uh, we're headed into the 2010s, so we're going to do The Homesman with Hilary Swank and... Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee Jones. There we go. My yeah. brain's working. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> I think this movie was a favor to Tommy Lee Jones, actually, because um, she had just made Hope Springs with Tommy Lee Jones, and, and also a few years before they had done, because Tommy Lee Jones is also in A Prairie Home Companion, right? Am I remembering that correctly? I think he is. I don't remember. It's been so long since I've seen it. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure he is. But I think it was a I think it was a, a favor to him because he directed this and I think he wrote this too. And it's um it's a interesting movie. I have seen it. Meryl is in maybe five minutes of it. It's a really quick cameo. It's very much towards the end. But we still wanted to do this movie. We want to go through it all. Um, We'll probably end up for that episode talking more about the movie as a whole than Meryl's performance and that's okay. Um, It's an interesting cast besides the two of them. There's like in addition to Meryl, the cameos are kind of interesting. John Lithgow has like a glorified cameo. Uh, James Spader has a glorified cameo. It's it's like he... (laughs) He assembles this kind of interesting group of people. And uh, I, one of Meryl's daughters, I'm pretty sure it's Grace. Um, I know it's not Mamie. Um, I can't remember if it's Grace or Louisa is in the movie. Um, but one of them I is in the movie. I think it's Grace. I think it's Grace too. But um, So anyway, uh, so we'll be back next time with the Diane Keaton episode. And after that, we'll talk about the homesman if you want to keep up. Uh, you can always email us at MeryllStreetPodcast at gmail.com. Keep those reviews coming. We appreciate those so much. They've been so nice. We appreciate that. Um, and yes, yeah. Thank you, everyone. It's wonderful. It's nice to have the feedback, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, thanks, and we'll we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye, everybody. And the Golden Globe goes to Meryl Street. Lorraine, she came to a birthday party at my house in Beverly Hills with snakes. We had snakes. But then we moved back east. Oh, my God. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really thrilled. I think I've worked with everybody in the room. <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> oh.
I'm going to forget everything if I don't. <clears throat> oh. oh, shut up. It's not that long. <laughs> First of all, congratulations to the nominees in all the categories for Best Actress. There's like a million categories for Best Actress, but Annette and Tony and Beyonce and Renee and Penelope and Judy and Maggie and Helen and Kate. And I just want you to know, all of you, that this has been such a fun year to watch movies because of you gals. And uh, and uh, makes you want to cry with gratitude until next year. <laughs> I just want to thank David Frankel and uh, Aileen Brosh McKenna for this sparkling script, this really sharp, smart direction. Made it just a pleasure. And um, thanks to Wendy Feinerman and Carla Hacken and Elizabeth Gabler and Karen Rosenfeld for shepherding us through. Thank you for Tommy Rothman, who signs the checks, and Rupert, who signs his checks. And, uh, and uh, thank you to Pat Fields and Molly and Nina and all the people in wardrobe, because that was like special effects for our movie. And, oh gosh, everybody, delicious Emily Blunt. Darling. Darling Annie Hathaway. Dreadful uh, Stanley Tucci <laughs> for the difficult, difficult job they had making me seem monstrous. Anyway, I just I want to thank everybody, especially everybody at Fox that let us donate all those clothes to Equality Now and Breast Cancer Research and Dress for Success. That was really classy. <laughs> totally great. And finally, I just want to say the reason you could see The Devil Wears Prada is because it was playing on every uh, theater screen across America. And uh, that was because they were playing it. And if you can't see, you know, Little Children or Pan's Labyrinth or The Queen or, or uh, all these great movies that I've just seen, Volver, Notes on a Scandal, Sherry Baby, then you have to go down to your theater manager and ask him why. Um, it's amazing how much you can get if you quietly, clearly, and authoritatively demand it. That's all. <laughs>